Hi, and welcome to the Lifefulness Podcast, which is dedicated to helping you live your life as fully as possible. I'm your host, Samson Jones. And I'm your co-host, James Croft. Lifefulness is all about adapting the lessons from spiritual communities and congregations in a way that everyone can take part. I'm I'm the founder of Sunday Assembly, a worldwide network of secular congregations and the pioneer of lifefulness. And I'm the leader of the Ethical Society of St. Louis, one of America's largest humanist congregations. So this is really what we do. Every week on the Lifefulness podcast, we interview brilliant people who can give you and us insights into how to take the best parts of spirituality, combine them with science so that it works for people with no faith and some. So, James, are you ready to celebrate being alive? I'm ready, Sanderson. Thought you would be. Our guest today is Lisa Smosarski, the editor of Stylist magazine, one of the largest women's magazines in the UK. Stylist has over 400,000 readers a week, and if you live in a major city in the UK, you'll have seen it. Proudly feminist, Stylist has taken on the spirit of Lisa, its founding editor. Uh, In her words, we had a vision to create a magazine that treated women differently, intelligently. No paparazzi photos, no gossip, no diets, no mumbo-jumbo. Well-researched, thought-provoking articles for multifaceted women interested in politics, careers and culture, as well as fashion and beauty. Lisa is a remarkable woman. She was editor of Smash Hits at the age of 25, would you believe, and exudes positivity. I got to know her by speaking at a number of stylist events and wanted to get her on the podcast because she's got this unique vantage point over the culture and has a great vision of how people are living today. I think you're going to love this conversation because we deal with some really big questions. How are people finding meaning and belonging today? What's the connection between the rise of astrology and the global financial crisis? Got there in the end. What's preventing her readers from living life as fully as possible? And how does she live a full life when she's a mum, an editor, and also this amazing shining beacon of positivity? I love this discussion, Sanderson, for all of those reasons. And in particular, though I'm not into fashion myself, which will be clear to all of you watching this on YouTube, my husband is a designer. He makes dresses for drag queens. And it was great to hear Lisa's views on the importance of fashion in culture. She has particular insight into how fashion shapes our identity, which I know that you're going to enjoy. James, I didn't know that your husband was a designer of dresses and I have been known to shake my tail figure, tail feather in a figure hugging dress. So I will definitely follow up on that. Uh, So welcome to our first Life on This podcast. We're delighted to have you. So this is uh, the idea behind this, the Life on This podcast. It's all about helping people to live life as fully as possible. And it comes, the word lifefulness, for us, it's this practice which we developed at Sunday Assembly from adapting sort of lessons from the spiritual communities, but in a way that everyone can take part, in the same way that mindfulness adapted Buddhist meditation and yoga adapted Hatha yoga, and to look at the sort of lessons that we can get from it. And so the... The first question I want to ask you is, I mean, did you have any sort of faith background or philosophical background growing up in your life? Well, I don't have a faith now, but I was christened as a child and I did go to Sunday school. I grew up um, in a, well, so about the age of nine in a small village outside of Nottingham and everything was centralised around the church. So this kind of idea of getting together coming together as a community was actually pretty natural to me. I didn't know anything other than that. We moved to London when I was nine and it all stopped. (laughs) So your parents stopped going as well? It turns out didn't really have faith. What they had was this sense of community around the church. Mm. Um, And actually, I don't know whether, I've never asked them actually, I don't know if that was born out of tradition and that's just what you did or whether they liked that and they liked that aspect of community. But I was very surprised when I came to London and that wasn't part of our world anymore because it was just part of my routine. Um, but I don't, I don't practice a faith now at all, but I, I missed, I've genuinely missed the getting together. 
Yeah. And did you, and so like, if you go and look back on your childhood, did you think that that was any, did you notice it as a big change when you were? Well, I asked to go to Sunday school when I came to London. I mean, I'm not sure how many eight-year-olds really would ask for that now, but um, I, uh, I t- and, and actually I don't know why I did, but they found one, they, you know, I went on my own. <laughs> it's quite odd when I look back because actually I'm not sure I went in with a faith. I didn't go for that. Mm. I just went to hang out with people. Have yeah. a sing song, that kind of stuff. It's uh, my, uh, well, this is a bit of a slightly different thing, but suddenly when my, uh, we used to go to church the whole time and then it turned out that, so my mum died when I was young. It turned out that she was very much the driving force in that entire thing. And then at about age 11, it was just like, uh, that was oh, that was gone, and one of the reasons that like the uh, purpose of this is like one thing is to like explore some of these big questions, which you know once we're out of these traditional structures, mm. sort of disappear. And and I guess that in your position as uh, editor of the Stylist Magazine, you really are constantly in touch with your readers. You've got your finger in the air. Like, what does that sort of search for community and meaning look like now? Oh, I I think it's huge, actually. I think there's an absolute lack of it. And I think um, you see that in loneliness statistics, particularly with millennials. It's something that we hear a lot about, about people feeling isolated, particularly if they've had to move cities or had to change um, any sort of big facet of their life, come out of a long-term relationship. This sort of feeling of displacement and not belonging, Mm. not having these ready-made communities, I think are real issues. And that's been really heightened through this pandemic period. So I've heard more of that and the isolation that people are feeling through that. Now, what's kind of fascinating is that's I'm, I'm not living on my own. It's not been my experience because actually my street have become closer during this time. Mm. There's a WhatsApp group, there's quizzes, there's distance drinks, you know, there's sort of a coming together and this desire to be together. But when I speak to my audience, that isn't the norm, actually. And lots of people are feeling very isolated. So I, th- I think that's huge. Um, I think alongside that, the big trends that I've seen are around this uh, looking to an other for the answers. And that isn't necessarily to a God as such, Mm. but that might be to astrology or that might be to uh, any other sort of belief system. But actually, again, trying to find answers somewhere other than in the sort of traditional day to day. So these two trends have sort of got louder and louder over the last Mm. few years as people sort of search for something, but they're not quite sure what they're looking for, I think. Uh, the I uh, because obviously I went and read all of the things about how you're very impressive and we're manager of smash hits were age 25 and uh, but I wanted to go and do some extra research so I rang your colleague Sophie uh, your and to get a bit of and and she I mentioned that. That the, well you've got to go and find these things out I used to I didn't know. even know he did that I understand <laughs> myself so sneaky um, so like well, come on I'm trying to be slick and professional well, so I'm come it's, on. A stalk, it's a bit stalker isn't it really Let's oh, I mean I I had a comedy show which uh where I sold all the tickets by hand and everyone was like oh it's really nice and I'd be like hey Lisa hey James and it seemed super friendly but what I didn't tell people is one of the reasons I sold all the tickets by hand is that I then researched them online uh, and uh, incorporated their social media into the show. I think and, I've heard about this, yes. And found <laughs> the guy's dad's blog and then got his dad to have a video message to him in the show. So anyway, this is as nothing in my story. <laughs> uh, but she said you felt like very that you're sort of, like that some of these things around astrology, like <laughs> that you're quite scientific as well. I am, yeah. I I, I don't believe in um, astrology. Um, I take a very cynical scientific lens on it. I don't believe that 12, now 13 potentially, um, sort of characteristics can sum up the facets of individuals. Um, I... You know, I'm interested in why people believe it and I can see why people want to believe it, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to do disservice to that because I'm an old cynic, which is basically the truth. Um, I also wrote (laughs) horoscopes for a bit at one point in my career. Are you serious? (laughs) 
<laughs> so they're that's very cynical writing them when you I don't mean, believe actually, in I'm them that's perfect scared to say that out loud but that's why now i know there are, that will be really super offensive to lots of people who take mm. that very seriously and it is their jobs but I guess for me, it's don't believe everything that you read and, you know, check into the authenticity of where that comes from and by all means believe in it because people who do get so much out mm. of that, you know, but for me, there's a question mark. I, I, you know, and I think actually what astrology is so good at is saying lots of really nice things about you that actually everyone intrinsically wants to believe about themselves. It gives you hope. It gives you optimism, makes you believe that, options are taken out of your hands and that there's a steering force somewhere that mm. that's quite helpful a lot of the time you know the hope that something is around the corner there's an answer that it's not all random chance so i can see you know i absolutely can see the benefits i mean my team who are there are a huge amount of believers on my team mm. um in various kind of what we would i guess group as spiritual um belief systems uh, spend a lot of time t trying to convince me on this. And, you know, occasionally they get me. They occasionally yeah. get me and they start to suck me in because it is incredibly enticing. Um, and you know what? If you get something out of that, then gosh, enjoy it because there's lots of things that we don't enjoy in life. So, you know, go for it. The, uh, uh, a friend of mine who were, and this is, I hadn't thought of astrology in this way, is that he he pointed out that, you know, that that old thing of, and this isn't going to be an anti-astrology podcast, but we're here, so hey-ho, uh, <laughs> uh, was that when you go and look at the constellations, like the idea is they look like they're quite close together. And so then you get the thing, if the, if the moons can control the tides of the sea, then surely the stars can control the tides of your mind. Well, the only thing that gets me is the moon bit, because I can see some science behind that. So, you know, I'm compelled by that point. Well, then what he said was that, like, even though those stars look close together, some of them are yeah. very bright and very far away, and that some of them are just, so it's got nothing, there's no sort of possible physical thing. And then also that due to the Earth and the moon being so close, it's sort of like, as though we're sitting on an enormous speaker and then over there, there's a little like iPhone head, like an iPhone headphone, like 200 miles away as we're like sitting on this thumping great piece of earthy gravity, uh, but each to their own. Uh, and well, I think uh, there's something you said that interested me, Lisa, that people are looking for something mm -hmm. to be in control or they're mm -hmm. kind of looking for answers. And I wonder if you think that, we live in a really uncertain time, it seems to me, not just with COVID, but politically and lots of things happening that are making people question a lot of things, whether that kind of plays into people's desire for answers. That, that is my absolute belief, actually. That's my shared belief with you, is that I think as, as the world has become more uncertain, as it has over the past decade, and this is a trend I've seen evolve you know, at a rapid pace over the past decade, you know, people have started to look elsewhere and they've gone to very traditional, these are very old standing, old fashioned ideas and concepts. But actually, again, perhaps where people have lost traditional faith structures, this provides an alternative other force um, that's out there. So I, I think so. And I think particularly for generations who are looking down the line going, I don't really know where my life is going. You know, I'm, I'm, everything is out of control it gives some sort of control and order. And I found it very fascinating that Nostradamus started to peak again in these kind of, these really mm. uncertain times. You know, I remember last hearing about that when I was at school, you know, it's sort of, and then something, you know, did you know a man predicted all of these things? I would wait around the millennia for something awful to happen. But it's, you know, it's again, it's we're searching for answers and maybe we're looking further into history and maybe we're not looking at traditional faith structures. And, you know, and, and, and I will say, actually, would, I guess when I'm talking about faith, I'm talking about the UK as a, what would have been a traditionally Christian environment. Because, of course, what I am also seeing are um, a strong young Muslim voices. So people mm. are actually celebrating their faith more and who are talking about it. Some people who've gone back to their faith might have gone back to Judaism after rejecting it. So, so I don't think it's that all um, religions have lost their place. But I do, I can see these different conversations happening in different ways. But I guess as a more secular society, we don't have the kind of construct of the one place that we all go together or celebrate together. 
And I think that thing of looking for something elsewhere, I think you also see it in conspiracy theories that there mm. is like there isn't a narrative that we can sort of grasp a hold of. And I guess, you know, in, in your career in magazines, I don't suppose you you could just reflect on like, you know, that idea of certainty, which was maybe there sort of 15 years or 20 years ago that like, you know, why you know, why people didn't feel the need for these outside sources so much? Mm, well, I, th- I, I mean, I, th- I think that's about uh, financial security. So this is prior to the 2008-9 recession. There was a far more stability. And, you know, astrology or these other sort of things were for fun. They were a bit frivolous. There was sort of less of a search. It was more kind of traditional racing up the career ladder, going to sort of, oh, go to the boardroom. Um, our work at all costs. And obviously what we've seen is that the world become more uncertain. People start talking more about things like mental health and talking Mm. about what they really want, work-life balance, you know, topics that have sort of come steaming out of nowhere, actually, um, and started to dominate how we think about our careers. And therefore that means our financial security. So when we launched Stylist just over 10 years ago, there was a big entrepreneurial theme. So people were like really at the point where... They were like, actually, I don't know if I really want all of that racing up the ladder. That looks quite unpleasant and quite hard and it's not Mm. really for me and I'm not going to get to fulfill other dreams and desires. And then you chuck in a recession and you chuck in a lot of political uncertainty and a very changing climate and very regressive principles in so many facets of our lives and conversations that actually that confidence to make our own choices has really wobbled, I think. So now, and you know, there's so many stats and facts around this, but if you look at millennial and Gen Z, you know, they're the first, I think the first generation for quite a few decades where there is no social mobility, they will be worse off Mm. than their parents. Now that does lead to obviously a huge amount of uncertainty. Marry that together with the conversations around mental health, anxiety, and actually you kind of realize you've got a very vulnerable generation who are kind of looking for something somewhere yeah and then what uh because and i think this is the thing that we really want to explore is that like often we go and think of like that there's the the longing for something over here for astrology spirituality like higher purpose Mm. but then it is so linked to the actually everyday worries yeah yeah and we went and put out this uh, a little survey which was just saying, okay, what what are the things which are causing you stress and the preventing you live life as fully as possible? And it is just the everyday mm. sort of things, like finance is a huge one. Uh, what are the things which you would say that are sort of like holding your, what's, what are the pressures that your readers are under at the moment? And you sort of mm. went into some of them before. But Yeah, I think that's interesting, actually. And I have to say, I don't hear the higher purpose conversation. I hear the day-to-day and the worries and the what is this all about? That's about as close as you get to higher purpose. You know, why am I on this treadmill and what do I get out of mm. it? Um, <clears throat> but actually, the bigger picture, less so, it's far more about me here now. Uh, that's about career, security, options. It's definitely about money. Financial security is just not a given. Uh, social mobility is not a given. Homeowning is absolutely not a given and looking increasingly unlikely for uh, younger generations. I think political uncertainty. And actually, therefore, the consequences of that link into things like uh, the fear of terrorism, the fear of war, the fear of conflict. Um, there's a lot of, this is quite negative. Sorry, it's quite negative myth, but there's no, a lot I of, asked you about what was stressing them out. Like it's, it's not going to be I've got like, more, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's some, uh, the price of, uh, the price of cupcakes has really gone up and that is really getting some people down. I was really bummed out about that. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of anxiety around aging parents and the responsibility to look after parents married with the, um, responsibility of having children into a world that's affected by climate change so heavily. So we hear a lot of anxiety around climate change as well. And what is this world that I'm going into? Um, and then you How go does into that what? affect you, like personally? Like, I mean, you have kids, you have like, yeah. are, you, are you sort of worrying about that? Is that? I worry about it from what will their world look like? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's very hard to escape the evidence of what we're seeing, you know, this year already 
our climate is all over the place, you know, and actually the bigger impacts in countries like Africa were already being felt and the impact on food supply chains and, you know, health and well-being globally. I mean, we're already seeing it and actually not enough is doing being done at a global you know, leadership level. And I think, you know, particularly during the pandemic, people are worried that that comes off the agenda. It's been so hard to get mm. on the agenda. What happens as we go forward? Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think about that. I worry about that. We do our bits, I hope, to sort of make our lives more sustainable. But I'm, I manage a brand that has consumerism at the heart. And we have to think about that and the changing habits and behaviours of our audience how do you think about that? Because you are obviously very ethical and you that's one of the great things about stylists as a brand. You've really led on issues, mm. uh, but you, you've also got to flog dresses. Yeah, and you know, and people want dresses. Here's the truth. So, you know, nothing against like, dresses. I mean, I wouldn't be dressist. No, um, no, no, no. Um, they're very very important to many people. I just have to say that I was talking to James about uh, and I did just say. I just don't want to be here wearing a T-shirt when Lisa turns up because she is not going to be going around her, her house like a schlub. And so I went and glowed up. I like that you spruced up. I'm wearing a sweatshirt. How disappointing for you. Oh. <laughs> it is a great sweatshirt, though. I was, I was there is, you know, there's something. There's a little something going on. Like Rupert Everett. I was like, that's a nice, that's a nice sweatshirt. <laughs> I never want to hear those words again. <laughs> I've lost my train. Wait, wait. I was talking about many, We're talking many, about dresses, the importance of dresses. <laughs> yeah, of course, and um, consumerist behaviour and thinking about our um, sustainability around that. So those industries are having to think hard and fast around fashion and beauty particularly. But again, the idea of disposable purchasing has never been really at the heart of stylists. Mm. Um, but again, we, we are evolving our position. And what, what we are hearing loud and clear is, I'm not going to stop shopping, but I'm going to think super carefully before I buy anything. And I want to know about its provenance. I want to understand the manufacturing process that went into that. I want to know it's going to last me for a long, long time because I'm going to shop with thought, I guess. Mm. Um, and actually, you know, we can see brands and that's at the luxury end through to the high street adapting to that. We also have a really big strand about supporting um, businesses with purpose at heart. So people who are, you know, perhaps they've got charitable sides to their businesses. Perhaps it's about the ethics and how they consume or the communities that they support. Um, and also, you know, again, the provenance of how those independent brands get into the spotlight as well. So for us, it's really shopping with heart. I can't think of a better way of doing that, which is actually about, we're not going to end consumerism right now i do think those patterns yeah. continue to change um so actually let's make sure everything we buy lasts and doesn't add to the problem yeah. and that we can keep going and it's not about a fast kind of constant evolution of trends and things that are just going to be out of fashion and actually that's even changing terminology within businesses like ours so not talking about seasons and moments and on trend and off trend it's about you know identity things that you love things that you will care about that will see you through um, how many so seasons are there nowadays <laughs> there's there were like, a lot actually there were there's lot. like cruise there's like the what is it the cruise wear whatever it's resort, it, yeah resort yeah uh, well it depends where you're counting because you get the kind of two main seasons or winter spring summer it, then yeah, you'll get okay, resort classic. you get cruise um then you would obviously get couture which would come in as well right, um, but actually what we're already seeing from the big fashion houses that they're, they're taking some of those out so they are slowing the churn they are slowing this idea of constant kind of um consumerism um so that they are responding actually to what they're hearing but i think that would just speed up and i think you know it, it people will be completely exposed if their brands are not robust enough in how they treat their employees, with how they manufacture, with, you know, how they deal with um, chemicals mm. in, their, um, in their manufacturing processes. All of those things are being held to account. And that's actually where things like social media are being quite useful because people get a voice and get the opportunity to call people out. And then the only way that will really change, though, is if consumers do change their behaviours. You know, we, we see big queues around very cheap stores and you know people 
these things are not accessible to everyone at the moment. So bringing price points down, bringing more options to people. It's a really complex, big question, but you know, we are at the beginning of that change. Well, speaking of complex, saying, big questions, uh, some of the things a, you've been a dreadful, saying. What a dreadful introduction for any yeah, interview guest. I to definitely hear. don't have the answer, whatever it is. <laughs> speaking so, of complex, uh, big questions that can I'm end your career. I, I've, I've, I, I've been listening to what you're saying, and something's kind of coalescing for me that I, I wonder if you can help me with. So Uh-oh. you said that you hear a lot from your readers about kind of proximate issues, about you know money and career uncertainty and i certainly feel these as an old millennial you know i'm I'm in that boat myself of thinking about where does my career go after all this and at the same time people are also reaching for the astrology they're looking for answers in something bigger than themselves and they're looking to be more ethical consumers and i wonder whether there's a relationship between the sort of uncertainty both economic political that we're going through that's kind of making people ask bigger questions sometimes. So yes, people are focused on how they spend their money, but that can also lead you to think, well, I better invest in something that lasts as mm. well as like I have to save. Does that make sense? Like the connection between the... I think it's 100% true. And it you know, absolutely echoes what people are thinking about. You know, I think this concept of the snowflake millennial is very unfair because actually, you know, this is a generation who are thinking hard about how they make a difference. They are working hard on how they make a difference and they just are not necessarily getting the breaks um, that previous generations have had. So I think, you know, the big questions being answered, this, you know, it's probably not just, it's probably X, millennial, Z, you know, this is transgenerational, but actually people want to make a difference now to their world. So Mm. they are asking that in lots and lots of different ways. And that's about, can my career fulfill more than just paying my bills? Can um, my shopping habits be more positive to the environment? Or can I donate money by transacting in a different way? And I think we will see more of that. I think, again, this period that we've had over the last four months will really sort of catapult that thinking. Because so many people, I've had this conversation so many times now, with people are like, I'm just really thinking about what I want out of life. Mm. Um, maybe I've not stopped to ask those questions before and they can be big and small. That's what coffee do I drink and why do I drink it? And that's what am I doing with my life and where am I heading to? So I think, I think we're at a time of deep thought actually about what we can do and what our role in the world actually is. Hey there. I thought I would uh, interrupt that great content for some more great content. And what I want to tell you about is We are doing a Life on This podcast launch competition and we've got some awesome prizes to give away. If you go to lifefulness.io forward slash podcast, uh, there is a box there. And what happens is if you go and share the podcast, if you go and send it to your friends, if you go and like our Facebook page and a whole host of other things, then you get one entry into the competition and there are some awesome prizes there there's a personal development workshop by James and I there's a workshop for your company there are talks which we will be willing to do in your company your community or your not-for-profit yeah we would love you to support this by getting the message out there so what you do is you go to www.lifefulness.io forward slash podcast and if you're able to share this then you might get one of those super super good prizes so thanks so much and without further ado after sort of injecting some little extra to do back to the podcast the yeah there's this uh, idea uh, of existential openings and actually like big change happens when after the divorce after a personal tragedy and i think we're going through a social one my big the big question I'm asking is like, how can we make sure it's more like what happened at the end of the Second World War, mm. which was sort of 50 years of peace and prosperity, mm. or not for everyone, context, oh. caveats, all of yeah, those, of course, yeah. uh, but as opposed to the end of the First World War, when there was the Treaty of Versailles and it just put in all of the things which was going to lead to even more chaos. Uh, are there, what are the hopeful signs that you see about that, of people going and thinking about the future from this moment? Well, I think that's tricky because I think the 
global political climate is still so uncertain. So there's shoots of hope are grassroots, aren't they? They are individuals who act as activists, who, you know, the campaigners and individuals who took to the streets for Black Lives Matter during a lockdown, who broke the law in order to make their point. The hope and optimism comes from collective behaviour, I think, actually, Mm. through this period. And I think that's against, you know, and I guess we've seen this many times before, against the leadership that perhaps is lacking through some of those big issues. And we'll see that around climate change. We'll see that about race, diversity, inclusivity, and about um, institutional racism. And there will be lots of big issues, I think. And that that's what always fills me with hope is when I speak to my audiences, they are getting their hands dirty and they are getting on the streets and they are making their points heard. And then they are following that through in their day-to-day behavior. So for me, hope comes from those places is that there is more collective um, working on some of those issues that are important. Now, it, it can, can that happen with, oh, I don't know how political we want to be here, but That's with right. some of the leadership, but with Trump in power and, you know, yeah. regressing on so much of the progress that has been made in so many places. And, and you know, the, there are huge divisions in society because of that. So I don't, I'd like to feel the optimism you feel right now, but I don't because of that political stage that we sit on. Yeah, no, uh, no, I, I don't. I don't oh, sorry, I was just going to say that I'm, I don't necessarily feel the optimism. I feel like there could be something yeah. great that happens, but then it could also go the other way. And I'm really trying to figure out how to make sure it do how not we navigate. Yeah. make sure it goes more in that direction than yeah. the other. And I think... There's so much will to that as well, you know, goodwill to wanting to do that. So many people are, like I say, trying to do their bit and create positive change out of this experience. And, you know, I'm hearing it in the minutiae of the day to day, and hopefully we'll see that in the bigger picture as well. I'm wondering what you think the role of fashion is specifically in this, because I wonder if people feel like, I can imagine some curmudgeonly people being like, oh, it's frivolous. It doesn't matter. Like there's great political changes happening and the climate's dying and all this stuff. Who cares about dresses? But I get the sense, at least from reading some of your writing, that that you think that there might be something more to it than that. I mean, presumably. So, yeah, Well, I think, think fashion and actually fashion has been a political force for good at many points actually through the past few decades it's been particularly good at celebrating subcultures and actually bringing them to the forefront um, giving them a platform and of course it is a multi-billion pound business that brings a huge amount of money into the UK so there are many positive facets but I think on the most basic level for the majority of us it's about identity we are able to express ourselves now It's an interesting conversation, I always think, with this, because people go, well, I I don't care about fashion. I just throw this on. But you're making a statement by doing Mm. that. You know, you are actually saying something about who you are and your identity and your personality and what you think clothes mean to you. At the extreme other end, you have people with fabulous looks who are so expressive and joyful. I'm right here, Lisa. You are here. I see the blushing. (laughs) But how much, you know... I, I learned so much from you by looking at you and how you dress and how you express yourself and, you know, how, and therefore how you carry yourself. Now, I feel like you, Sanderson, would be a different person in a different set of clothes and you would carry that differently. And, you know, this is most of my personality. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the grim truth I think it matches your personality is oh, okay, what I'd thanks. say oh, this is going to be in an audio medium we should have maybe highlighted yeah, earlier I was going to say, I'm wearing we a very colourful uh, jacket which is from South Africa beautiful and, uh, there we go. so uh, before I made it about me oh, shock horror uh, <laughs> you were saying something really interesting which I've forgotten but there was another question that I oh no it's, this is why there's a fashion related question because in my research about you uh, with your colleague God. I, <laughs> I didn't realise it was I just thought it was thorough uh, the, uh, I feel uh, like the person you've spoken to might take great joy in just like <laughs> setting me up with some tricky <laughs> questions. I didn't. I, I I could have done that. Ask that, but I, just, <laughs> I wanted people to come on my podcast. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, you are very much on the subject of fashion and good places to work. You are very much not in the devil wears Prada 
mode of fashion editors was very much was what uh, yeah, well, Sophie nice. said. That's nice. But no. Uh, and she, yeah. And like one part is that we really want to like this idea of lifefulness can also be brought into the workplace. And so I mm -hmm. suppose how is it that your values go and express themselves in in work and as a boss? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think obviously anyone who works at magazines, the automatic association, particularly if you're an editor-in-chief, is Devil Wears Prada. And um, I have to say I have rarely encountered, not to say never, but rarely encountered. Who are they? Anyway, who are I'm they? Not who are they? Come on. Uh, no I? one listens to this. Come We're on. not going to let it sound. <laughs> well, that's literally true right now. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, you're good, Sanderson, but you're not that good. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, so I'm. I, I mean, really, for me, I work in a really collaborative environment, and I very much believe that you you get the best out of people who you treat with respect and kindness. And you know, our industry is very small. Those people that do have those reputations, everyone knows about them. Mm. They do not serve you well, and I just don't understand how you get the best out of someone without treating them how you would want to be treated. You know, it's a fairly simple lesson that our parents would have taught us. Um, you know, I don't, you know, we, we are afforded as editors incredible opportunities. We get to go to amazing places. We meet really interesting people and our egos could get out of control. Um, and I just, you know, I, I don't like that side of our industry at all, actually. I hate that hierarchical side. I hate the fact that, um, we are given additional privilege on top of the privilege that we've already have. And I think, you know, just being a decent person in the mix is the very least that we can do for this incredible opportunity to do this incredible job. Um, and also I, I like people. I want to really enjoy my day-to-day -day interactions. I want to laugh with people. I want to, you mm. know, I want to get the best out of that experience myself. So, you know, I, I really want a good working relationship with my teams. And I think, I think, you know, that means I have to be firm sometimes. I have to ask for things to be changed because also my job is to create the best possible product that we can do. But I will do that in the most respectful, nicest way that I can do. And actually, mm. the other side of this is I don't know everything. So I'm going to need some help. Mm. Um, so asking for people's support, asking for collaboration um, is just, you know, that helps me get the best possible product at the end of it. And then how, like, I'm always interested The so you were very successful at a very young age and, but like, what are the, and you, every time I've met you, uh, you've been very bubbly and positive. And so bubbly is the wrong word, but just like really high energy. And uh, then how do you go and like, what are the practices that you do? which enable you to keep that going. And it can, like, not as in like, do you go and like do yoga on the edge of a cliff, but like the, the, there's, there's a way that you look at the world and things that you do, which enable you to be like this. And I'm always interested to sort of get into them. So I do very little, Samson, very little. I, I, what I would say, because actually people have talked about my energy before in the past, because for me, I take it for granted. This is just who I am, but I am so, I take, I'm just a traditional extrovert. I take energy from people around me and I really thrive on that. Um, I feel I can feel myself. I'm chatting to you. I'm like excited. I'm having fun. Mm. It's like great to have these, you know, these conversations and that's stimulating and that gives me energy to want to do more. Um, I'm, you know, I think cause I've got older, I've tried to be more reflective on my interactions, how I can be better in certain situations I, you know, I love reading a, um, a Gladwell or a Alan de Botton, mm. and I love human nature and behavioral psychology. Those things really fascinate me. Um, so I'm very interested in people. I think, I think that's what it comes down to. And I think that's probably why I wanted to do this job in the first place, because it's all about conversations and interactions with people. It's about an audience at the end of it and how I can understand them more. Um, but I don't, yeah, I'm, I, I can't meditate, my brain, well, oh, yeah, and, uh, by I the way, uh, uh, probably. <laughs> no, no, I the, can't I'm, do it either. I, I'm not going to, you know, I wasn't even asking that, but like there is a, I often find that there's folk who have that will just, you know, let's say you go and get knocked down something. I mean, right now, coronavirus must have hit everything pretty hard. Yeah. Like what's hard. the outlook that you're able to have and, you know, 
in order to go and deal with these stressful times and still be positive? Like what, yeah. what's this like, I'm just really interested in like the minutiae of there's stuff that you're doing in your head, which mm. means that you come out of looking at a situation and it's so natural now that you're just like, it's just me. Mm. But like it's to other people, they will be like, oh, what's the specific things yeah, that you're doing? Yeah, it's very hard to answer. But yeah. and, and obviously I would be lying if I didn't, if I said that I was like this all the time. Obviously I'm not. I'm really moody sometimes and very grumpy and I just want to be left alone and sort of hide under... My duvet, like everyone else, it's not, I'm not like this all the time. Um, but there is a deep down belief. I mean, if I have a bad day and I, I had one last week and I was like, oh God, all the emotions are on top of me and I'm finding this, you know, a very stressful way to work, for example. Um, I have to, I really, I don't know what I do. I don't know what I do, but there's a bit of like, okay, breathe, take a sort of bit of perspective on this. Let all the moodiness out. By the way, when, when you actually, say take a bit day, of perspective, what do you mean? What do, um, well, uh, probably exactly that, which is I can get very emotional about work, for example, and then I have to step back and go, okay, well, how, how serious is this? How affecting? Let me put that into perspective to the health of my family or um, to you know, just day-to-day issues that I'm encountering elsewhere. I mean, I, I think I play a lot of the, like, my life isn't that bad, really. Let me just um, calm things down a bit. But there's a um, lot of, and the reason I want to get into this is there's a lot of people who are, who might be, there's not a lot of people who are fashion editors, but there's a lot of people who will be uh, like really high achieving and having many good things. And they don't do that little look around their life. And, you know, to a certain extent, like a lot of people in Britain, you know, have got a huge amount of things that we can take for granted. So I just want to say that you, like that is something you specifically do. Okay, well, thank you, because I didn't know that. Well, anyhow, <laughs> there we go. Uh, but yeah, over. no, I mean, and also, I really do, and we had this with Stylist. I mean, when we launched Stylist, we were very much the underdog in the market. We were a free magazine. They were sort of looked down upon these free titles. And, you know, my mission was sort of to go, well, I'm going to make this as good as, if not better, than anything you've seen before. I believe that, like I really believe that we could just create something amazing and we could engage with a different way. And so often it comes back to that little seed of belief where I'm like, I just know we can do this. We can push through, we can find a route. And that might be, you know, lead us to things like where we've got Hillary Clinton for a guest edit last year, which was just beyond my wildest expectations. Like when I launched Stylist, if someone had told me that, I'd be like, you are absolutely taking the mech out of me. But, um, you know, but, but there's always a like, we can do this. And that's the bit that pushes me through. And that's the bit that gets exciting. It's a little bit hard. There's some, you know, some things to tackle. Did you always that, have that? Like, is it something that you see in your family or like, because that seems to be a my huge... My mum says I've always had that. So she said that uh, I made a decision at a very early age that I would go into journalism, despite the fact that we didn't know anyone who was a journalist. We didn't know anyone in the industry. There was no obvious sort of connection to it. And she said, I didn't really want to tell you that it was going to be hard for all those reasons. Because actually, you were just so convinced that, of course, of course I could do that. Yeah, I'm just going to work really, really hard and I'm, I'm going to do it. And that's what I did. You know, I sort of chose the courses that I was going to do. I wasn't the best at it at all, but I really wanted it. I really worked hard to get my place in it. And I think that, that little bit of driving force is, is the thing I can feel in myself. And, and when, I, when my energy gets low and I feel down, that's the bit I have to refind. Mm. what does that's it feel like in your body like what's it feels the... very physically I'm pointing at my stomach here but yeah. it feels very deep inside you know it's like it feels very physical to me I have a very also I have a competitive jealousy feeling which is like completely knocks me sideways and I've like I've got the feeling what's given me the feeling but it's mm. like I, I feel these things in my body you know they um, I've never said this out loud before, actually, I will say. Mm-hmm. But they are, I've noticed this about myself is that I, I cling on to it here. And, and actually, I guess that's not always a good thing, but it has been a positive force as well. That's the thing. Like, the, uh, like, I would, like often when I ask people about that, if I have to explain, you've, you've got to go and start to make shapes. Yeah, like, here, here. And, and it is this embodied feeling. And I find when speaking to people about this, is it like that's what for a lot of religious people they might call that feeling God? 
or yeah. spirit or that thing which is internal. And I'm really interested to go and hear people who don't have that lens on that feeling go and relate it to the work that they're doing. Well, I, don't, I mean, and, and I've always said, when I've met people who have that faith, um, I've always been incredibly envious because I was like, God, imagine having that absolute belief that you feel it when every interview and you sort of know that. Mm. I mean, and, and that's the thing. So in a way, I've, I have thought about that over the years and how people yeah. carry that in a physical way. but never thought about how I might manifest a version of it myself. You're manifesting the divine. Manifesting. I can feel it. I can feel it. Uh, the, and then like this uh, our idea is like living life as fully as possible, which does mean that our interviews are wide ranging. And aren't they just? Aren't they just? And this go great having a magazine editor because you're like, <laughs> yes, the price of chemicals. Obviously, <laughs> if you go and think about chemicals, you're just like taking every question as though you've written a book on it. But what does, and if you thought James's question was tricky, what does living life as fully as possible mean to you? Um, living life as fully as possible. I think for me, actually, this is about being conscious about the decisions that you're making. So I think so often we're just on this huge conveyor belt. And we do what we've always done and we don't really question it and we have to pay bills. We have to mortgage. Well, do, do we? Do we need any of that? What do we want? Can we challenge that? And at least can we just have a little think about it? So that, that mm. for me is a bit, that, and, and definitely I am guilty of that too. I just, you know, I talked about this path I wanted to follow and I just got on and did it. And very rarely did I go, hang on a minute, should I just check in and see this is still what I want to do? Um, so for is me, it? this whole, This would be an amazing part of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what, guys? So, <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I'm doing what I love the most right now. Mm. It's fine. I'm chatting. I'm, you know, learning yeah. about the world from a different perspective. But yeah, this is why it's still challenging and interesting to me because every day is different. I learn something new. Mm. Um, but yeah, living life fully, I guess, is for me... Is, it's about knowing why you're doing things and then going after them. You know, it's, mm. it's just not taking it for granted. It's just not sitting on, like I say, this conveyor belt of thinking you have no choice and no options because there are always choices, mm. but we just have to know which ones you want to take. Oh, that's great. Uh, James, I think we've already taken up so much of your time. Are there any other questions which are burning a hole in your question pocket? I'm always scared. <laughs> James just brings out the sort of the philosophy shotgun to go, yes, I've noticed a few logical inconsistencies in your life. I would never do that. I'm finding this absolutely fascinating, so thank you. I, you say about the importance of knowing why you do things. And you've, mm. you've probably spoken a lot about this already, but so why is it that you do what, what you do? What is it that is the answer to that question for you? Um, for me, it's about a natural curiosity about the world. And this job really affords me the opportunity to be nosy. I mean, particularly as an editor, you can go, right, I'm really interested in this concept. Find me some answers. <laughs> like, come back and tell me why this is so. Um, I love how broad ranging the topics are that I get to cover about the diversity of the people I meet, the crazy sectors, particularly at Silas. You know, I could be, I mean, uh, this is a bit clangy, name droppy, but I honestly can be sitting at the front row of Fashion Week and then popping over to Downing Street and then, you know, chatting to Sanderson at the end of the day. So, I mean, you know, the highlight. No, but actually it's, it's so interesting and it, it makes me have to learn more about those things and I have to get to expand my brain a bit more. I get to understand a bit, well, a bit more about the world. And I get to see things from different perspectives and I think all of those things are an absolute luxury. You know, there are very few roles that you can do that in. Um, and they're the bits where I absolutely, like at the end of the day, I'm like, well, I learned five new things today and that's what really excites me. Is there something that you have a strong drive to do that you haven't yet done with the stylist and that you'd like to do? Mm, I mean, we're always thinking about how to expand it to new audiences and to open it up. I mean, I'm really interested in how we've taken on events and the learning aspects. And I think a lot of the topics that we have been talking about here are about uh, self-enrichment and, um, you know, discovery. I think there's a lot of opportunity around that 
a stylist. You know what? There's some really base level things that I would like to be doing more of, which is just writing and just creating content myself. Mm. I still love that side of it. Um, so lots of kind of small ambitions on top of the big ambitions. I just, yeah, I think there's so much we can do. And I think the whole point is that we keep listening and we keep evolving and we'll find new ways to talk to our audience. Uh, I've got one more question. And as I was thinking about it, because there was one thing which came when I asked people what stops you living life as fully as possible is when people said they were so busy in doing so many things. And then that made me think that you are, uh, you do a lot of things and you are a mother, speaking as a mother. Uh, (laughs) and, And it made me want to ask, how do you do so much? But then I know it's such an awful question, which only gets asked of women. It's so true. And, you and, really and then, oh yeah, but then I'm like, I also want to ask that of men, because <laughs> yeah. then they say, then they'll be like, well, I don't know. This is, it's all, it's all I do, really. I know. <laughs> so I think yeah. It's a great I mean, question to say, ask high achieving men. How do you do what you do? Should. I think we definitely should. I think we need to ask that question more. Then we can level the playing field more because I think you know and also look lots of men do want to know how to do that so different point um Mm. but how do I do it I mean the thing is I would I do feel too busy a lot of the time I feel like I push myself (laughs) to the limit I mean I've got three kids I uh obviously have a pretty busy job um when do you go to when do you go to bed uh normally do you have your night owl is that like a how long do you work I am very much an owl not a lot I uh, could sleep all morning if I, if I was given mm. the choice. Obviously, I'm never given the choice. I have three kids and a job that, you know, likes me getting up early. So, um, mm. but yeah, I get a second wind around half 10, 11 o'clock, which is quite problematic. Um, so on average, somewhere between 11 and midnight. Uh, I sleep really heavily, though, <laughs> really, mm. really heavily. And I know when I sort of haven't been doing these things that I want to do because I can't sleep. So, you know, mm. it, it suits me well. Um, oh. But yeah, it's hard. It does mean some personal ambitions are put on hold. Small person coming Hello, in. Oh, did you? Hello. This is the true multitasking. It's starting to sweat now. <laughs> I tried to have an interview with someone whilst I was doing bath time. <laughs> did you? I bet that went well. Really quiet as well. Yeah. You know, I was just going to say that I asked that question because my wife is an entrepreneur and uh, so am I. And you know, as we like, we have to constantly talk about the switching in and out and all the rest of it. So, but it did make me really want to go and ask men that question, particularly around COVID time, because. Yeah. Well, I think, you know what, I mean, during, in our, during COVID in our house, it's been exactly the same. We've been 50, 50. We're both working full-time jobs. Um, and we both try to, homeschool and look after the kids and do everything else you know it is a divide and you know neither of us have found that easy that's been a really tough thing to do particularly because it's meant that we've both been like working in the evening so it's sort of a half day shift in the day and then straight into work at like eight o'clock ish trying to eat dinner over your laptop so no healthy work-life balance going on I mean I think it makes you realize how much you need it. And as we come back mm. to any semblance of normality, how much you prioritize having that time ring fenced again. Um, but yeah, I think, you know what, the, the truth is, you know, there is a lot, there is a lot to, I can't, I'm going to say juggle. I'm pausing because I want to say juggle and I don't like that word either because women are often spoken yeah, yeah, of yeah. juggling. But, you know, there's a huge amount to do and I am a list making woman. So uh, everything is noted down. I'm super hyper-organized and that is the only way to survive. And listen, I drop the ball all the time. You know, I miss assemblies or I'll mess something up in terms of my timing. There's no perfect way. There's no perfect way to do it. And I think prioritizing yourself in that mix is is often like, I think women particularly actually would deprioritize themselves in that juggle to get everything done. Um, and they're the bits that I have, I have no true answers to. That, that's the bit I'm really still learning. I don't know how to do it. You know, every day is a bit different and the kids need different things as they grow up. Uh, hey there. Thank you very much for that. That was super great. Are there, you must have some, uh, we've got a whole magazine whenever you want to plug something <laughs> of yours. So it's very much like we're asking the wrong way of this. Hey, is there anything you want to get out to our enormous hypothetical audience? Uh, the, <laughs> or, but what are the things that you're doing at Stylist that people, you might want to point people to? 
So um, we have recently launched a new digital app of Stylist, which means you can now access the magazine anywhere. So it was something we've been working on prior to the pandemic, but we rushed it out to make sure that we could still deliver the magazine to people. And you can just search for that in the app store. Um, and then you can download your issues and have them on the phone. So we're very excited about that. We're launching a new podcast ourselves soon called Nobody Told Me, which is real women sharing stories of things that happened to them and um, the lessons they learned along the way. Um, and yeah, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and at stylist.co.uk, all the places. Oh, very good. Well, look, Lisa, thank you so much for that. That was uh, wonderful. There we go. Thanks so much for listening to that. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as James and I did. Uh, this is the outro. You've probably figured that out. And so every week on the outro, at least for the first podcast, what I'm going to do is just have some reflections on the interview. Oh, reflections. Uh, but also talk about the life on this community because that's, you know, the podcast is to go and reach as many people as possible to go and be something which can help people in their own lives but we also want to take this deeper and then also to go and so this is launching at the start of September and we're launching with about 10 or so maybe more and so actually for each one I'm going to imagine as though I was recording this 12 weeks before launch so that's the idea so it will also hopefully as each one goes along you'll get an idea of this uh the journey the journey that we've been on this one is corresponds to 20 22nd of june and so it's about uh 10 weeks before we launched yeah the podcast actually arose out of really it was something that uh i wanted to do and there's loads of different ways that life on this can look. Oh, it should be a book. It should be this. It should be that. It should be an app. And so I've got ADHD. And so sometimes I go and do too many things and I try to do uh, a lot and then I do a little and then, you know, you're not really pushing anything forward. So it's like already there's this real idea of focusing on the podcast. And, and then that week of the 22nd, I heard back from Facebook and I had uh, applied for their community accelerator because they wanted to go and hear from high impact community leaders. And yeah, from loads of applicants across the world, they chose uh, the Lifefulness Project. And so that meant that, well, should I say a big thing was it actually meant that a lot of financial worries for the foreseeable were put off being a trainer, facilitator, public speaker, etc. in a COVID time. It is pretty tricky. Yeah, that was really exciting. So, and what's interesting is uh, at that time on the 22nd, really focusing on the podcast, there wasn't really an idea of like what the community element was going to be. But now there is. And so alongside this, we are starting these lifefulness small groups. And what they're going to be is they're going to be something for people who really love this idea and want to go and uh, really connect to other people. And so if you do want to get involved in the life on this small groups, they're paying. Uh, they are once every two weeks. And it's the idea of having a sort of, you know, high commitment, like intentional community. And it's going to begin online. But the idea is that they then go offline so that it will be people who uh, live near you, are around you. And... Yeah, that's going to be a sort of a deeper connection that we're going to have. And it's really exciting. So that's going to launch in October. So if you're listening to this now in September, go to lifefulness.io forward slash membership, and then you can go and apply. We're only going to be starting off small. Uh, so please go and check that out. So I think there I've, oh yeah, I wanted to go and uh, reflect on how it connected to Lisa's interview and I think the thing which really chimed is this idea of wanting something more like it it's almost become a platitude I just is there something more I just feel there's something more and that's when I realized I needed something more but we bloody do don't we that is 
what I think learning from spiritual communities, why it's so useful, because it has been the these techniques have gone and answered those huge longings that we've had. Ah, those big like heart busting longings for being part of something bigger, for being deeper with people. And so that's where we want to go with the small groups and really with all that we do. So uh, that's it. Uh, doing a bit of a review. I have, oh no, there's one other thing. As I said, please like, subscribe, share, sign up to the newsletter, all of those things. I've almost done all the things I wanted to do. And now the credits. Uh, yeah, thanks to everyone involved in this. Thanks so much to Lisa Smosarski. Thanks so much to my amazing co-host, James Croft. Uh, thanks to Mavs Shetty, who is our producer. And also thanks so much to Roman Pat Rapak and Miro Schott for the music. All right, guys, there's going to be another one coming right along. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>